Wow, one week into 2018. How's your new year going so far? Yes, I heard a positive, and I heard a few applauds. Okay, that's not bad. Um, Today, what we're doing is finishing up part two of a two-part series that we started last week called Fresh Start. Uh, We did uh, last week, of course, was New Year's Eve. Today's the first Sunday in January. Next Sunday, we're going to begin our study of Revelation that'll take us through the spring. I heard some yeses on that. Excited about that? Good, because uh, there was some fear and trepidation of, oh, go, if we say we're teaching on Revelation, will people all leave, you know, for the next few months? No, no, it's going to be exciting. And I'm excited about the direction that Todd is taking us in that study. So, so be here, be back next week. Uh, last week, we looked at this topic of complaining and grumbling, and uh, certainly something we can all change in 2018. But today I want us to look at some other issues in life that just keep coming at us. And as I was thinking about this in light of Matt, and it was prayed for, these are, these are issues of weariness and exhaustion and feeling dry and empty, feelings of discouragement, even depression and anxiety. And I imagine there's going to be days where Matt's going to feel all of those things. Because we've all felt them, right? And we live in America, where everybody speaks the same language. Well, not everybody speaks the same language. Not anymore. Not anymore. One of my, vi- one of my uh, favorite Bible characters is Elijah. Uh, Elijah is so real. And I think that's why I like him. I can relate to a lot of what he felt. Um, one of the biggest lessons that we learned from Elijah is that God is the source and the provider of everything we need to overcome those times. He is the never-ending, always available, complete and total provider of all that we need. And we need to learn that because sometimes I don't know that we fully grasp that. He orchestrates and designs dry times, and I believe that. I believe that God brings into our lives these seasons of dryness and emptiness in order to prove to us that he is the one that satisfies and supplies We have to ask ourselves if we really, really believe that. And if we do, then we need to learn how to draw on that source. How do we assimilate the truth that Jesus is all we need? We can say it, we can sing it, we can stand up and wave our arms and say amen, but how do we get that into our lives and make it real that Jesus really is all we need? If I told you that there was a huge stash of gold underneath your house, tens of millions of dollars of gold underneath your house. Would you go home today and demolish your house to get it? Uh, It's a mixed response. (laughs) The answer is only if you really believed it, right? If you were like, oh, Chris, you're blowing smoke. There's no gold under my house. But if you truly believed that there was tens of millions of dollars of gold under your house, you would hire a demo crew ASAP, right? At least I would. You would do whatever it took to get that gold out. If we truly believe that Jesus is all that we need, then shouldn't we be doing everything in our power to draw on that never-ending source? If we aren't, then maybe we don't really believe it. So this morning, I want us to see two things. Number one, God really is the never-ending source of life and encouragement, and he's everything we need. 
And secondly, I want us to see how we can draw on him as that never-ending source. So turn to 1 Kings 17. If you need a Bible, the ushers have Bibles. Just put your hand up. They'll hand you a Bible. You can use it. You can keep it. 1 Kings 17. And while you're turning, I'm going to blow my nose again. Oh, man. Matt, I had no idea you had that effect on me. (sighs) Maybe I should have guessed. I want us to walk through the first part of the life of Elijah. And I want us to see how this plays out in his life, how, how he demonstrates to us that God is the never-ending source of life, and, and we see from this story of Elijah how to, we can draw on that source. Uh, the writer of 1 Kings sets the stage right off the bat by telling us that there is a drought in Israel. There's a drought in Israel in the surrounding areas. There's no rain. There's no water. There's no food. There's, there's, a, 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 there's starvation. And God designed this drought in order to do some things, and we'll see some of those things, and I think he probably had other things in mind that we don't see in scripture. But he designed it for his purposes. He was absolutely in control of this. So look at 1 Kings 17 and verse one. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, Ahab was the king of Israel, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, There shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. But God had a plan. God had a a, a miracle that he wanted to provide for Elijah because a lot of people die in droughts and famines and and God wanted to preserve Elijah's life and keep him from dying. So in verse 2, we see that the Lord came to him and said, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded. See that? I have commanded. God commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith that is east of the Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Now, sometimes... God uses quite unusual means to take care of us. In this dry and empty season in Elijah's life, God used ravens and a brook to provide the nourishment that Elijah needed, food and water. He only had to obey. God told him what to do. God told him where to go. Uh, Elijah simply had to obey, go and do it, and eat the food that the ravens brought and drink the water from the brook. Now, what kind of birds are ravens? Scavengers. So what do you suppose they brought to Elijah to eat? Right, roadkill. So, so Elijah is eating roadkill. I'm, I'm guessing this is not what he had in mind. I'm guessing this is not what would have been his preference. He would have preferred uh, takeout from, or you know, delivery service from a pizza parlor or some steak and some fresh fruit or something. But God gives him roadkill. But God was providing for him, right? God was providing. We're not sure how long he was here, but the drought lasted around three years, we know from other scriptures, so 
And he was only in two places. He was here, and then he was with the widow that we'll see in a few minutes. So maybe he was here at least a year, uh, maybe a year and a half. Um, What did Elijah do? He's out in the wilderness, presumably all alone, by a brook. Every morning, every evening, the ravens would show up with some fresh roadkill. What do you suppose Elijah was doing? My guess is he was learning how to cook roadkill. Um, There may be a roadkill recipe book out there written by Elijah that we haven't discovered yet. Well, we don't know what he did. Scripture doesn't tell us, but I think it's pretty safe to say that he spent a lot of time just being still. Listening to the voice of God. Being quiet in God's presence. Praying, communing with God. Elijah had a a huge spiritual encounter coming up. And this was probably preparation time through these long seasons, long days, long weeks of of quiet and rest and communing with God to prepare for this, this huge encounter. But then the brook dries up. God's source, God's way of providing dried up. And I'm sure he's, think, he's looking every day at the brook drying up. It's a smaller and smaller trickle. He can't get water out of it anymore. He's like, God, this was your provision. It's drying up. What now? And so God sends Elijah to a Gentile widow, which in that culture was as bad as a scavenger bird. Look at verse 8. Then the word of the Lord, verse 8. Verse 8. It's not moving. Look in your Bibles at verse 8. There it is. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have, there's that same word, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. I've commanded a widow to feed you. Sidon was in Gentile territory north of Israel. It was maybe 80 or 100 miles away from where the brook Cherith was. So, so Elijah had this 80 to 100 mile walk out of Israel into Gentile territory in order for God to provide for him in this other way. I mean, did God really have to take Elijah that far? Well, of course not. God could have uh, brought water into the stream miraculously. He, took, he brought water out of a rock. He could have just simply made the stream have water in it, even though it wasn't raining. But that's not what God chose to do. And I think the question here is, are we willing to take God's provision even when it's not exactly what we wanted or asked for? Are we willing to accept from God's hand whatever it is he gives us as his way of providing even though it's not what I wanted. God, it's, I mean, we just came out of Christmas. How, don't raise your hands. How many of you did not get what you wanted for Christmas? Man, I remember when I was a teenager, somewhere in the 14, 15 range, I remember I opened my presents, put them on the chair, there was this piddly little pile of gifts, and I thought, really, is that all there is? Sometimes God gives us things, and we look at it and say, really, is that all there is? A Gentile widow, Seriously? But God always has a purpose in what he does, and this is where faith comes in. We need to trust him, and we need to rest in what he's doing. Remember the name Jezebel? She shows up later in the story, this, this story, but, but she was from, anybody know? She was from Sidon. She was from the town that God sent Elijah to to hang out with a widow that would feed him. 
Jezebel was a Baal follower. Baal was one of the pagan gods of the Canaanite land there. And Baal was, was a fertility god, and he was supposed to provide food and life for his people. And Jezebel was a serious Baal worshiper. And so one of God's purposes here in bringing this drought was to demonstrate that ba- excuse me, Baal, this pagan fertility god, couldn't do it. God was in control of the rain and the food and the land. And it's like, it's like God's, I don't know if this is irreverent, it's like God's thumbing his nose at Baal and at Jezebel and saying, look, I'm going to send my prophet right into Jezebel's hometown and I'm going to provide for him in a very miraculous way and just prove to you that Baal's nothing, Jezebel's nothing. And he does it to demonstrate that I am God and you are not. And a lot of times in life, he does things in our lives for that very same reason, to show, to show us that, Chris, you're not God. I'm God. You're not. I'll do this the way I want to do it. I am the provider. I am the one that provides. I might use ravens. I might use widows. I might use plowing and planting and harvesting crops in your field, but I am the one who provides. Not Baal, not ravens, not a widow, not your job, not your paycheck. It's me, says God, that provides. So Elijah obeys and goes, and he meets this widow in town, and he asks her for food and water. But remember, there's been a drought. The drought has affected this whole area, and the widow only has enough food for her to make some food for her son and for her, and then they're going to starve to death, their last meal. But Elijah tells her, go ahead and make me some food first, and uh, I promise you won't die. And in fact, there'll be a miraculous provision for, for you and for your son through this whole drought. So in verse 10, you're just gonna have to, I'm just going to have to give you guys cues because this thing's not working. Verse 10, no, verse 14, sorry. Um, For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. And so God provides through this jar of flour that every day she took some out to make bread, this jug of oil, every day she poured some oil in the flour, and the next day, there was more there. And once again, we see it's not the flour, not the oil, not the widow, but it's God that provides. He is the provider. He can, and he does, and he uses all kinds of means, but it's him. Now, I don't, I don't know where all of you are today. But I'm guessing that here in this room, there is a lot of, 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 of emptiness. There's a lot of sense of, I'm just in a dry period right now. Uh, I, I try to read my Bible and it doesn't mean anything. I pray and my, my, my prayers hit the ceiling and they come back down. And it's like, I just, there's just a dry season. There's, there's some serious uh, drought going on, maybe some minor drought going on, maybe there's some major questions about life and what's, what do I need to do? 
But what I, what I want us to see here is that God often creates the need. He creates the drought to demonstrate that he is the provider. Because when things are going well and life is just all hunky-dory, it's really easy for us to say, I got this. So God says, no, you don't. Let's, let's just throw a drought into your life so I can prove to you, you don't got it. I got it. Sometimes he brings that drought into our lives to purge us of our self-sufficiency. Oh, I am the master of self-sufficiency. I will, I will do anything in my power not to ask for help. And sometimes it just about kills me. And my wife yells at me. It's like, I got it, I got it, I got this. And sometimes God just needs to knock us down to prove we can't do this alone, it's him. Sometimes he takes us to the end of ourselves, he takes us to the bottom of the bottom so that we look up and we see that he is the all-sufficient one. And sometimes he will use the most unexpected, unorthodox ways to provide for us. He can use ravens, he can use roadkill, he can use impoverished widows, he's in charge of it all. But he will provide for us. Dawn was uh, eight months pregnant. This was 27 years ago, not recently. Um, and, and I had just been uh, let go from my job in a very difficult situation. And uh, I tried to find some work. I got some part-time work, but it wasn't enough. We had no insurance, unemployed. And, uh, you know, what, what, what are we going to do here? What's going to happen? Our son was born. It was an emergency C-section. It was a $10,000 bill. I don't know what that translates to today, 27 years later, but that was a lot of money for us. I was unemployed. I had no money. I had no job. I had no insurance. What, what do we do? I remember giving the doctor a $100 check, sort of like, well, here's, you know, here's something. We'll start paying on this. And as we did more research and talked to some people, we found out that Medicaid would pay this because I was unemployed. I even got the $100 refunded back to me. 100% of that bill was paid by Medicaid because I was unemployed and he was born in that period of unemployment. Unorthodox, I wasn't even sure I agreed with this, but God used that stressful termination. He used that difficult situation, that unexpected uh, circumstance to provide for us. So cool. He is God. He is bigger than we can possibly imagine and can do whatever he wants with whatever he wants in our lives to provide for us. Now for Elijah, it goes from bad to worse. He's experienced drought, but now he descends into depression. Let's keep going with the story. In chapter 18, uh, Elijah has one of the most amazing spiritual encounters in the entire Bible, maybe in, in history. He faces down all by himself 850 prophets of the false gods Baal and Asherah with all Israel watching, and it covers a full day. So try to imagine this. You're on one end of the Rose Bowl, one end of the field, 
850 pagan satanic witches and wizards are on the other end of the field in the Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl is full, tens of thousands of people watching, and it's your job to face down these spiritually wicked priests and wizards. Are you nervous yet? I mean, can we even comprehend the spiritual energy that's expended in this kind of an encounter? I'm going to preach twice this morning. I'm preaching right now. I'm going to preach at the 11 o'clock service. I'm going to preach for about 35 minutes to a reasonably friendly crowd. And I will go home this afternoon utterly spent, exhausted. And that is nothing compared to what Elijah faced. Nothing. But there's more. He kills them all. He goes out. The text isn't perfectly specific. He may have had help. but But think of the physical energy that's expended in using a sword to kill 850 people. Not to mention the emotional trauma of seeing all that death. This guy was wiped out, exhausted, spent. And so let's pick up the story at 1 Kings 19, 1 through 4. The next slide has that. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die saying, it is enough now, Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. In other words, my fathers are all dead in the grave, and they're pretty useless, and I am no better than they are, so I just might as well be dead. What happened? Elijah just had the most amazing spiritual victory that we could possibly imagine. And if you know the story, God miraculously intervened um, in, in the Rose Bowl, if you will, and all of those prophets were defeated and Israel realized that God is God and it was amazing. And now he runs scared from a single threat. He's exhausted, he's depressed, possibly even suicidal here. The wear and tear of life and ministry and energy expended drained him. He was vulnerable, he was susceptible. He was susceptible to emotions and discouragement and satanic attacks in his head saying, you're no good, and he's like, oh, I'm not, I'm not any good. Just like I'll be this afternoon. Just like we are when we're way too busy, when we're trying to do too much. We go from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. We keep pushing through. We keep going. We keep running on adrenaline. And when the adrenaline runs out, we stock up on coffee. And we keep going and going. And then the coffee doesn't work anymore. But we can't continue that forever because sooner or later we're going to crack. And there's going to be depression and exhaustion and burnout and we're ripe from attack from the enemy who wants to defeat us and knock us down and, 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 and take us out and make us useless for the kingdom. 
And so what we need in our lives is white space. Remember a year ago, we did that series on white space and talked about how we need margin in our lives. We need, we need space. We can't fill the page from top to bottom, from left to right in our lives. We've got to have some, some room to recuperate and to refresh. I'm going to go home today after church. I'm going to eat lunch. I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to read a book. I'm not going to answer my phone. I'm going to watch a little TV. I'm just going to give myself some white space. So you're not welcome at our house. <laughs> But that's exactly what God did for Elijah when he was in this state of exhaustion. He gave him some white space. He gave him some recovery time. Look at, look at 1 Kings 19, verse 5. Next slide. And he lay down and he slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones in a jar of water, and he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. So what did, what did Elijah do? What did God give to Elijah? He's depressed, he's discouraged, he's suicidal. What did God do? He says, eat some food and take a nap. And this was not roadkill. This was angel food. You see that? An angel touched him and said, there was a cake, some kind of bread cake baking on the stones. Probably packed with all of the nutrients that Elijah possibly could use and need in this burned out, depressed state. And then he did it again two naps, and two batches of angel food. Now let me pause here just for a second. There is a lot of simple wisdom right here. Sometimes we just need to take a nap, right? Or sometimes we just need to eat some good food instead of grabbing fast food on the fly and eating in the car, stuffing our faces while we're driving to the next appointment. Sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is to eat a steak and take a nap. Are, are you good with that? Can I get more than one amen? And I am serious. I'm serious. That's exactly what God did for Elijah. But look what else he did. He intentionally, Elijah intentionally got himself into the presence of God and he spent time there being still, listening for the voice of God. Mount Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai. We know Mount Sinai because that's where Moses went up on the mountain and encountered God where the Ten Commandments were written. It was just, just an amazing place of God's presence. And so when, when Elijah gets there, he has this exchange with God. Look at verse nine, next slide. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. I am the only one, and now they're trying to kill me and take that away. So in spite of the food, in spite of the sleep, in spite of the naps, Elijah's still pretty messed up, and so now he goes into a pity party. 
See, this is why I love Elijah. He's us. He's us. At least he's me. Um, and he says, I'm the only one left. I'm all alone. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to go eat worms. I'm the only one, God, who loves you so passionately. I'm the only one. Wow. And this is 40 days later. If you follow the text, you see that 40 days have passed. He is in a major depression now. And he needs more help. So God sends Elijah out in the mountainside where presumably God was going to speak to him. Elijah needed to be still. He needed to slow down. He needed to just shut up and listen. And all the usual things we might expect from God came. There was a strong wind. There was a fire. There was an earthquake. There were sermons. There were podcasts. There were good books to read. And no voice. No voice. Finally, Elijah stops long enough and he does hear God's voice. And God tells him several things, one of which that there's still 7,000 people who love me. There are still 7,000 people who have not bowed the knee to Baal. You're in good company. You're not alone, Elijah. Quit the pity party. Now, we're not going to go any further with the story, but just to say he's finally restored. He's finally re-energized. He's refreshed. He goes out, and Elijah continues to serve God in powerful ways until God chooses to just simply take Elijah home. Out of, out of, Elijah never died. God just took him home powerful, powerful man of God, but just so human and so real. James 5 tells us that he was just a human like the rest of us. That's why I love him so much. He had these seasons of drought and these seasons of emptiness. He suffered from discouragement and depression. He had personal pity parties. Can anybody relate to that? Are you with me? I mean, are you with this guy? Don't you just love him? It's like, okay, I don't feel so bad after all. And this was the man that God used powerfully. So what do we take away? What do we take away from this quick survey of his life? I think the most important thing is, to, is we take away to, to absolutely believe in your heart that Jesus is everything you need. He is the source of life and encouragement and fullness and rene renewal. If you're in a season of drought, he has you there for a reason, and he'll restore you in his time, and he'll do it his way. Maybe to show you that you're way too busy. Maybe you're depending way too much on yourself, and we got to let God be God and quit trying to be God of our own lives. Control freaks, talking to you. Or, or maybe he's got you there to watch him provide for you in bizarre ways like roadkill and, and Gentile widows. So we've got to believe that in our souls, that he is absolutely everything we need. But the second thing we need to see is how do we draw on that never-ending source? How do we assimilate? Okay, I believe it, I really do, but how do I draw on that? Well, God had a six-step plan for Elijah. And I think it will work for us. And let me just say this. I know that life and circumstances are far more complex and far more deep and far more confusing than stick steps. I understand that. I'm not trying to oversimplify the chaos and confusion and the hurts of life. 
Maybe you want to yell at me, I've done that and it doesn't work. And I would say to you, keep doing it. This is a relationship with a person, not a mathematical formula. Understand that. But this is how God took care of Elijah when he was discouraged and down. Number one, eat good food. Angel food if possible. Although I'll say this, if you come to me and say, an angel cooked you some bread cake, I'm gonna really question you. Unless you're referring to your wife, that this angel came to me and cooked me food, then that's fine. You know, I'm not gonna get on a soapbox here, but I honestly believe that lousy nutrition probably causes more spiritual problems than we realize. Enough said. Number two, sleep. Take a nap. Go to bed earlier. Anybody, any health practitioner, anybody will tell you. You'll tell yourself, I need more sleep. We need more sleep. Number three, eat more good food. (laughs) Number four, sleep some more. Take another nap. Go to bed even earlier. This is what God did for Elijah. This is the Bible, folks. This is scripture. But not number five. Learn how to be still. Oh, this is a tough one. Just like Elijah in the presence of God on Mount Horeb, we need to spend extended time alone with God. I don't know your schedule. I know it's crazy. All of our schedules are crazy. But we have got to take some deliberate action to reduce that craziness. We need to take time to be with God. An afternoon, an evening, an early morning. I don't know. No schedule where you can just sit in the presence of God. Remember, he usually speaks in a whisper. So we've got to slow down enough to listen and hear a whisper. And that's when we draw on the never-ending source of his peace and his fulfillment and his provision. Listen to this quote. I'll put it up on the screen, or they'll put it up on the screen. God now speaks by the wind and the earthquake only. The still small voice can be heard no more. We're so busy, we can no longer hear the loud, or we can no longer hear the whisper. We only can hear the earthquake and the fire. And I don't think God speaks to us real often that way. Oh, he does. Sometimes he needs a two by four to get our attention, and he'll do it. But he speaks by the wind and the earthquake only. The still small voice can be heard no more. The whole religious machine has become a noisemaker. The adolescent taste which loves the loud horn and the thundering exhaust has gotten into the activities of modern Christians. The old question, what is the chief end of man, is now answered to dash about the world and add to the din thereof. Does that not sound like Southern California in 2018? Put the next slide up. A.W. Tozer wrote this in 1955. 63 years ago, this was his observation of culture. You suppose we're better or worse 63 years later? We need to slow down. We need to learn to say no. We're doing way too many things that we shouldn't be doing. And number six, the sixth part of this step, draw strength from your spiritual community. God told Elijah about those 7,000 who have not bent the knee to false idols to encourage him. 
We need to share with our spiritual community, whether it's a Bible study group or your community group or whatever, we need to share with them our struggles and our battles and what's going on. I was sick in mid-December, got the flu or something, and it knocked me down for several days. One afternoon, I went out in our patio and I just sat. It's one of those 80-degree days that we have in December in Southern California. I had my old Bible, this one, which has been with me for decades. And I just looked through it. I just, I just leafed through it to see what I had written and highlighted over the years. And I just prayed and I watched and I sat and I watched the sun go down and the yard got darker and I watched a moth come over and it was kind of windy and the moth, a moth came over and landed on a chair next to me and it kind of slid into the crack of the chair. And I thought of Elijah in the crack on the mountain. I thought about that moth for a long time. I knew I was preaching these two weeks, last week and this week, but I didn't know what I was preaching. And so I just sat there for hours asking, thinking, reading, Lord, what should I preach on? And yes, I did fall asleep in there for a little bit. And I started writing down things that I found in my Bible, thoughts and ideas. And eventually these two sermons came out of that time. But it was hours of being still, of being quiet, of just listening for God's voice. Just drawing on his never-ending supply of relationship and he is the source. You know, we all need those kinds of times. It took me being sick. I, I firmly believe God designed my sickness at that point in time so that I would not have the energy to do anything else so I could sit still and listen and hear his voice for hours on end. So for 2018, make a fresh start. Make a fresh start in your relationship with Jesus. He is all you need but you've got to slow down to draw on it. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you that you are all we need. Thank you that you are everything. Thank you that you design droughts, you design empty times, you design, you design those times to remind us that you are all we need. And Lord, I pray that we would resolve with the power of the Holy Spirit to slow down and say no and be still and hear your voice and know that you are God. In Jesus' name. Amen.